Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. So Devin, today we had Dave Gerhardt, who's a CMO of Privy, um, on the show which was a, a bit of a milestone in the sense that it was the first time that we had a CMO on the show or somebody for marketing in general. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was cool to talk to Dave and a cautious, or I should say a conscious effort, maybe a cautious effort as well, to get a marketing leader in here because, you know, revenue intelligence is about all the go-to-market teams and marketing is a big part of that. Can't even say go-to-market with, the, you know, marketing, go-to-market, they overlap. Exactly. And that collaboration between sales and marketing is so core one cannot survive without the other one cannot hit their goals without the other uh, so it was really interesting to get some perspectives uh, from him what were some of the what were your three favorite things that you took away or how you'd summarize this episode that's tough so i'll be honest he there are at least 12 takeaways that you could take from this episode <laughs> it's the most i was just gonna say action-packed the, the most tactical uh, episode here, but I would say the first thing that comes to mind is that DG is a fellow lover of Air Jordans. Mm -hmm. So that was my personal takeaway. The, the ones that are probably more, a little more interesting to the listeners would be the big focus on visibility and accountability, which maybe is my number three, but the fact that he was sharing, you know, the, the, the way that he's found a way to have sales and marketing truly work together was pure visibility into what marketing is doing so sales understands but also mm -hmm. understanding where sales is getting stuck why deals aren't closing and those concrete examples so visibility was something that i found really interesting i'll talk more about that the third one i think it was just just him really doubling down on like having clear measurable goals and it felt at first when he first said it i was like it's kind of obvious like sales guys sales folks have clear measurable goals every month, yeah. every quarter. But when you, you know, that, that was my, my perspective, but then he like, you know, zooms out and it's like, not just measurable goals for the CMO and for like the CRO, but where that overlap is, right? So like he, he called it a scorecard. So I think having clear measurable goals of, you know, you have your sales, you have your marketing, and then you have your sales and marketing goals. That, that I found really interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's a great summary. I'll add a fourth one, which was all around brand, building your own oh, personal brand and yeah. building your your company's brand and how you should think about that in the B2B space. So we covered a lot. We covered a lot of ground in half an hour. We really did. Really, I think this is one of the shorter episodes, but like I said, we, we got DG going like halfway through. He's just like, he like throws the gloves off and he's just, he's just sharing all these, all these good takeaways. So yeah. So you, you probably don't want to hear from us anymore. So with that, let's go straight into the conversation with Dave. DG, thank you for joining us. For those who might not know, DG stands for Dave Gerhardt, but uh, glad to have you on the podcast. 
Thanks for having me. Um, I heard that this is the first marketing person that, that you've had on. So uh, it's, it's an honor. You shout out to all my marketing people. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We believe that all go-to-market teams are you know, driving revenue. I know you believe in that and marketing is a part of that. Uh, so happy to have you. Before we get into, I guess you call it the nitty gritty, but you know, the, the functional questions, I've learned that we share something, which is a love for sneakers. So I'm curious, if you could only pick one pair of sneakers to wear for the rest of your life, what would you pick and why? I would pick a pair of Jordan 1s because I think they're the best looking, most classic Jordan and just classic sneaker. I think they go with everything. You can wear them dressed up. You can wear them dressed down. Um, they've gotten a lot more comfortable. But you did just bring up a soft spot, which is like since covid my shoes, like, I don't even know if they know who I am. Like my, my, honestly, my, the official sneaker of, of, of COVID is actually more like my Nike sandals, to be honest with you. Yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah I'm between uh, house slippers and a pair of Adidas Ultra Boost. And, you know, one pair has gotten me through about five months right now since we're, we're not walking around too much. Well, that's good. You can stay, com- you can stay comfortable in those. I have a hard time blending the lines between Nike and Adidas, but, uh, it, it, I, I like to stay classic. So I would say, and also that's a good, it's a good bridge shoe. If you're like, I think, I think I could be one of those cool sneaker people. Like, you know, um, get a pair of Jordan ones before you get a pair of Yeezys, please. Yes, absolutely. There's levels to the game uh, for those who care to know. And a Jordan one's a great way to start. I've got a, I've got a couple pairs myself. I don't know what the female version of like the, the sneaker selection would be. I mean, I'm not a Jordan person. I'm not a big sneaker I, person in I general. I think I think it go. I think that that's another reason why the Jordan One is great. Jordan One and Air Max are both male or female, or it doesn't matter who you are. I think there's not a there's not a, a gender for the shoe, which is also great. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. I'll have to try I, some I on at see, some point. I could see you need some gong colored Jordan Ones, Sheena. I could see that happening. That would be awesome. I will have to get those somehow. I think there was a team <laughs> that customized some shoes like that, right? Yeah, yeah, the support team. Yeah. So Dave, for folks who may not be familiar with Privy, where you currently um, run marketing, could you tell us a little bit more about your company and, and what you do there? Yeah. So, so Privy is uh, the number one sales app on Shopify. And the, the reason I explain it that way is because most people have a familiarity with Shopify. Um, and, and Privy, what we are is an e-commerce uh, marketing platform built on top of Shopify. So it works with a bunch of other uh, different platforms, but we help you if you have an online store, we help you sell more. There's three tools that we have. We have email, we have text, and we have website conversion. Um, and it's, it's, been, it's been amazing like how, how much adoption Privy has in the e-commerce world. I think there's over 500,000 merchants that, that use Privy today. A big portion of that is Shopify. Um, so we're really focused on, on e-commerce marketing. And you were over at Drift before that. What made you jump over to like Privy? Like what, what about Privy drew you to them? I, there's, there's a, it's a, it's actually a kind of a wild story in that I, I worked at Privy seven years ago. Um, I was an account. I basically was our customer success person. Um, the company ended up running out of money and that's probably wise because I was the one responsible for our, our MRR, uh, <laughs> for, for, our, for our retention. Um, but, uh, I, I had known the founder Ben and I, I was at a company called constant contact before that. And I, I wanted to go work at a startup and he was like, Hey, I can hire you, but I can't hire you in marketing. There's no marketing roles. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll do whatever. I was there for a year. 
um, the company ran out of money, but it was an amazing like life and business experience. And so after that, I went to work at HubSpot. After HubSpot, I went to Drift. Uh, I was at Drift for four years and had always kind of like, you know, Ben and I, the founder had kept in touch and he'd always be keeping me posts on business progress. And they went from basically um, nothing, nothing when I left to uh, seven, eight million a couple of years later, really riding the wave of Shopify and e-commerce. And so it was a combination of like three things. Number one is wanting to work with Ben, get another opportunity. I feel like we didn't finish what happened the first time around. Uh, number two is like, being a part of e-commerce, uh, I learned a lot about B2B. I, the, the business that I'm in now is still B2B, like the way we operate, but to learn B2C was really interesting to me. Uh, and then the last part was, I think what I like about marketing is, is building. Um, and I, I don't just want to become, even though I am a CMO, like I, the way that I you know, get excited is by doing actually real projects and not just managing people and budgets and spreadsheets. And so uh, I wanted to go to an early stage company where there was something there, but they didn't have a strong marketing team yet. And so I got to go to Privy. I've been, we have a marketing team of, <clears throat> of seven people and I get to like, I just spend half my day writing a new deck and like writing some email copy. And then I also get to do, you know, all the CMO stuff too. And so it's been a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. And I'm sure these days are a good time for the company just with the, the rise of e-commerce and the way that people are shifting their shopping and buying habits. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, there's definitely, you know, Mar March was a terrible month for, yeah. for us, just like everybody. But um, April and May were huge. The summer has tapered off a little bit, but I think we're going to see a huge, like we're right on the cusp of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, September, October, November. And so we're, we're already starting to feel a little bit of that. So we're, we're excited. It's going to be a big, a big fall. It's just weird. It's weird to have to be in like a business that is so tied to a seasonal event, you know, like mm -hmm. in, in, in just kind of B2B SaaS. It's not like maybe how hey, Dreamforce is where we might book a couple more meetings, but like, it's wild to be like, no, we could like make the whole number for the year in, in November, which is wild. It is. It's, uh, I spent part of my career on the B2C side of things. I worked at Zynga for a bit um, and it's, it's, a, it's a different experience. You know, one of the challenges that I had, which was a little bit more on the gaming and entertainment side was just like the hits driven aspect and the, that consumers can be fickle, right? Like I love something today and tomorrow, like I don't want those Jordans anymore. And like those, those buying habits are very different in, in the enterprise and, and B2B side of things. Yeah, but just to clarify, that would never happen with Jordans because Jordans <laughs> are timeless. Yeah, Sorry, bad example. Maybe Uggs, maybe uh, furry Ugg boots. <laughs> That's right. So Dave, I heard, uh, heard you in a recent interview and something that stuck out is you said that marketing works for sales. Now, I bet salespeople are nodding their heads vigorously and some marketers might disagree. But how does this view guide your marketing efforts and your strategy? First of all, let's go check the attribute. Let's go check the quote because there's no way I ever said marketing works for sales. I'm not marketing is not a we, we're not a service to sales. However, like Udi has said, and I love that line is like marketing's job is to make sales easier. And so I think marketing exists for the function of sales. Sales as a word that also means revenue, right? Not not that marketing exists to serve the sales team, which is where I think a lot of the tension can, can become when it's like the job of marketing is to not make decks for the sales team and to not write emails for the sales team, right? Like, but in service of sales as a business function, a hundred percent, like the number one reason you should be investing in marketing as a business is because you want to sell more. 
and, and marketing is a way to do that at, at scale and can help salespeople and also, you know, people that don't ever talk to you. Sheena, we've talked about a fact check multiple times, adding a fact check to our show. I will go back. It's in the corporate bro interview. I, I might have misquoted. I'm not going to go back on it yet, but it was something very similar. But I appreciate you <laughs> clarifying. That's um, like that's like nothing that nothing that was said on that interview can be can should be able to be used because like of course I crumbled under the, like the the pressure of corporate bro and I was like yes my marketing works for sales. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you, you know how you know how media and interviews work. Anything you say can and will be held against you in a future interview. This is the problem with podcasts now. People like people and I do this too, but somebody will be like. Dave, now uh, the other night at 11.27 on Twitter, you said, uh, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be the question we're going to ask, right? <laughs> but no, I liked it though, in all honesty, because, you know, semantics aside, I think, you know, it is important that the two work together. So what are, what are some things that marketing leaders can, can do to better support sales in the short term, like some short term goals or gains? Yeah, I think, I think first it's about the relationship, um, number one, and... I think, I think it was, it might've been Udi actually that gave this talk at Hypergrowth last year, which is like our conference at Drift. I think it was like why the CMO needs to know the CRO's, you know, coffee order or something like that. And that's, yeah. it's really just like a, a metaphor for relationship, which is for, first of all, forget metrics. You got to have a, an actual relate, a working relationship together. doesn't mean that you have to hang out on Fridays and you know, but you have to be able to communicate clearly and directly and, and openly with each other and give each other feedback and critique and, 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 and push. Um, number two, after that, I think once you have a relationship, you have to have some type of clear scorecard. And I think this is where a lot of uh, or companies kind of go haywire, which is like sales is measuring because they're measured, the sales and marketing are measured differently by the CEO and the exec team. And so, you know, they have different goals. And so like, you know, ultimately we are all going to do in life what we're incentivized to do. And so like sales is driven by the comp plan, same as marketing is it driven by however my comp is structured. And so like, you got to understand what drives each team and then be able to come up with some shared scorecard that says, okay, here's our relationship is going to work like this together, right? We are going to deliver you these things every month, every quarter, every year. And in exchange, we're going to get this back from you. Right. And so, um, I think too many times it's, it's a one way street in, in one way or another, either marketing or, or sales. Right. Um, this is how you can actually build a shared, I think, look, ultimately sales and marketing are two inputs in the overall revenue in the company. And so you have to figure out how both of those pieces can work together. And that starts by having that shared scorecard for what, what are we each accountable for? What would you say prevents folks from doing that? Like leadership from, from having that open relationship or that, that communication? people are afraid of goals, right? It's the same question. Like how many, I, I think you all have it figured out at gong, but like I've been at companies, I've worked with people. A lot of people don't have goals. A lot of people don't have very clear measurable goals mm -hmm. and you know, goals that have, or they might have goals, but they don't know how to set goals. And, and then that means like, you know, a measurable goal that has a, a, a deadline and some metric, right? Hey, we're going to, uh, launch a new podcast next year. And we want it to have at least a hundred episodes and, and have 50,000 downloads and 20 reviews. And we want to launch it by December 31st. That's a clear measurable goal. I think a lot of people don't have those. Um, even, and, and typically the people that don't have those is a lot of times it's in marketing. And so what you have is on, on one side, you have sales, which has always been very quantifiable. Hey, this is your quota. Pretty simple, right? Dollars. Um, 
on the other side, then you try to fit, fit marketing in there and marketing has goals of like blog traffic and Twitter followers and, you know, sometimes like just sheer output, like we're going to do 10 webinars this quarter versus like very clear revenue driven goals. And so I think like it starts by saying like, what are the marketing goals? What, what, what are the goals for marketing in a company? I think if you talk to a CMO and you say, hey, tell me, what are you measured on? You can really quickly in that, in that alone, um, pretty much figure out how the relationship is sale, with, with sales is based on what they're measured on. That totally makes sense. I can see how it can be harder to build and maintain those relationships with sales in this remote environment. And I believe most of your time at Privy has been remote, um, if, I, if I'm remembering timelines correct. So I'm curious like what you're doing to build those healthy, successful partnerships in this time. Yeah. I mean, look, maybe this is like a big flaw of mine, but like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big, like small talk and schmoozer. And so like, I actually think that that's kind of like, I think a lot of that stuff is bullshit, which is like, Oh, the better. Oh, because you can be buddy, buddy with this, with somebody on the team or your coworkers or whatever, you're going to be better in your career or, or climb the ladder or do whatever. I think the same is true in sales. Like just because like, we're not in the office together. doesn't mean we can't have a relationship together. I want to work with people who are competitive and results driven. And like the best relationships I've had with people were, were when we, we both have clear goals. I've had great relationships with, with people in sales that like, I don't know much about them at all personally, but, but they know exactly what I'm responsible for delivering. And I know what they are. And I know that I'm going to get paid more if they do well, and they're going to get paid more if I do well. And like, that's the type of relationship. And so I think the way that I try to do that is through, really over communicating about marketing. Like I just believe so much in internal marketing that you have to control the narrative of marketing inside of the company. And so um, I try to present as much as I can in front of the company. We share a ton, like we share our work every single day in Slack and marketing. And so everybody on the marketing team says what they're working on that day. So anybody in the company can see, cause you know, there's, there's maybe there's seven people in the marketing team at Privy, but for whatever reason, there's 64 people in the marketing channel, right? Everybody likes to look in the marketing channel. And so we also like also push the team to show their work. And so not just show finished products, but like a video person might take a screenshot of like the first two frames of like the new video that they're working on or a screenshot of a headline of a blog post. And so we're trying to like over communicate what marketing is doing. And then we also over communicate our goals. And so like each quarter we send out, here are our OKRs. Each month we send out updates on where those, where those are at. And each week I send out an update to the whole company about what marketing's up to. And so I think like that to me is how you build a real relationship with people. Not like, oh, you know, I, I talked about the weekend for five minutes while Dave was washing his hands at the, at the sink. Like, no, let's, let's build a relationship based on this business and, and, and results first. Since Dave is our first marketer on the Reveal podcast, we thought it would be the perfect opportunity to go deeper into the sales and marketing alignment. I know you've heard it before, but according to Forrester Research, organizations with aligned marketing and sales teams achieved an average of 32% annual revenue growth, while less aligned companies reported an average 7% decline in revenue. That's a huge gap. So with so much at stake, why don't more companies have this kind of alignment? What's getting in the way? Seismic identified two common challenges that sales and marketing teams face. First, marketing has no real visibility into which content is resonating or not resonating with prospects, something that DG alludes to. And second, some sales teams feel that marketing doesn't create the type of content that they need. 
According to Ring DNA, reps spend an average of 30 hours each month searching for and creating their own sales collateral. Stay tuned for the micro action at the end of the interview for ideas on how to bridge the gap between your marketing and sales teams. What if you take it, flip it to the other perspective from sales? What should sales be doing to better build that relationship? Is there an aspect of what they, what they should be doing from a better communication standpoint or, or something else? I think the, the default to the, like the sales and marketing relationship is, is that kind of service um, mindset, which is like, oh, the way that I can better communicate is by being like, we, I wish we had more examples or I wish we had this deck where I think like sharing real examples of why deals are not closing or where things are getting stuck is like the, is, is always the best place to like ground that relationship and work and, and work back up. And so I think like, to be able to give real examples versus just like, I need this new deck or I need this thing. So like, Hey, um, you should listen to this call. Like I love when people on the sales team send me a call and they're like, listen to this call. She mentions this. And then I'm like, damn, you're right. We do need that. I think it levels the playing field between sales and marketing because I think in the past it's been like, well, marketing team, you're not on these calls. So you don't know what's going on. Well, I can be on every call now because, because guess what? Right. I, I, when I was trying to get really up to speed on Privy, I, 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 and this is what I wrote about. Like I put the gong app on my home screen on my phone and I changed out all podcasts and music time. And I listened to customer calls. And that was literally to be like, Hey, I'm not going to get, you know, pulled one over on in this meeting. Cause I know what's going on in the, on calls. I, I'm listening to the same call. And so we, we can, we can listen to the same thing and argue about what's different, but I'm also listening. And so I think like, to, to have, the, have things that are really rooted in what's happening in the customer. And so like, to give you a tactical example of that, one thing we did really well in the early days of Drift was I was the only marketer and there was like five salespeople. Every day they had a standup and I just became part of that standup and everyone would go around the table and say, hey, sales team, how many calls? Like just, it was really a sales standup and I, I joined in. So it was like, how many calls did you make? How many demos did you book? You know, what was good? What was bad? But then I joined it. And so I would say, uh, okay, today I worked on this new deck. I got this new ad, these ads live and I did a call with whatever. And that instantly built credibility with the sales team because they're, they're seeing me as like a key piece of someone who's going to make their life easier versus just like, oh, here's the guy from marketing ready to tell us about, you know, he tweeted six times today. And like, we, we all felt like we were one team. And then when you have that rhythm every day, okay, we go around the circle and I, I got to hear four days in a row that there weren't enough leads and I'm going to feel the pain firsthand of like, shoot, I better come to that meeting the next day with like a change and how are we going to make this better? Same thing on the other side that was really powerful, which is um, the team would almost police each other. And so one rep might be like, I can't close it. I can't close uh, calls because I can't close deals because we don't have any examples of blah. And then two of the other reps would be like, what, are you serious? Like, we don't need that. That never comes up. And so like you, you get this kind of like team policing that, that really works well. And I think that's, I don't know how to replicate that at scale, but that was something that like worked really well to, to build credibility in the, in the early days. You know, that amount of visibility and accountability. I think that accountability is the thing like the sales and marketing often have a tug of war over, uh, especially from the sales side. I love that example of how you're using revenue intelligence when you're at Drift. Uh, now that you're at Privy, do you have any other examples of how it's helped you solve some problems? Maybe it's the same ones or maybe it's some other examples for, you know, some of the initiatives you're working on now. Yeah, so... So one is just like to just always have a finger on the pulse of like what, what's going on. It's, it's, it's great for me, like as a CMO to be able to just 
fire, you know, like to be able to fire something up and like get in on, on, on calls. Um, another example was like, we just did a huge product launch. So we just, we just launched a, a new email product called privy email. And it was great because leading up to that launch, like, I think the most powerful, the most powerful thing you can have in marketing is the words of your customers. Uh, and that is like their actual words as used to describe your product, but then also like their actual words. So you can use in your marketing, like, uh, how in the gong series D, like you all pulled out real customer snippets and stuff like that. That's awesome marketing. Um, and so we went back and we were able to basically build the messaging and the story and the positioning for our email product based on what was actually happening from our customers on the calls, right? This happens before we're like somebody on the CS team gets a seat at the table and they get to tell you about like, you know, how, uh, what they, what they think the customer thinks, right? But now you get to hear this firsthand. And so we used all that stuff to build a killer launch, uh, like a killer launch plan for this. And now post-launch, we can actually go in and see like, is email coming up more? Is the pitch getting better? All the way. And like another use of that is it's, it's actually been helpful in like measuring the, some of our marketing channels, like our podcasts, right? I can go in, I go in and I search for e-commerce marketing show and I can see that since we doubled down on the podcast two months ago, that's coming up on more and more calls. And like, I can actually quantify the podcast in that cool way because people aren't, people ask, Hey, how'd you hear about Privy? And they're going to say that on the call. And that's an amazing way of like getting that information without having to like put it on a sign up form or something. And so um, it's starting, honestly, it's starting to blend into everything that we're doing. It's not always like a direct response thing in marketing, but it's like, it's a way to have the voice of the customer in, in your pocket at, at every, at, you know, all the time. I should have said thank you because actually before we launched this podcast, our director Russell reached out to you to give us some words of wisdom for one of the 14 podcasts over at Drift. Just kidding. I think there's only four or five at this time of recording. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we, we do appreciate that, Dave. And what, when you say you doubled down, what did you guys do? Like, what was that incremental change that you, that you noticed? Um, you think I'm going to give you free advice on this show? For your podcast? For um, listeners, come on. <laughs> oh, for your listeners. Okay. All you salespeople with your own podcast out there. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, what we did was, so here's a, cool, here's a cool, cool learning. Through the revenue intelligence stuff, we realized that we were like missing out on the tactical content. And so we thought things that we didn't think that were like super sexy from a marketing perspective was that was exactly what our customers wanted. Like we wanted to write about like, here's how Bonobos grew. But what they really wanted was like three email examples you can steal right now, right? Or like sure. four, four product page designs. And so we actually made a huge shift in our content to really focus on like bottom of the funnel, tactical type of content. And one of the ways that we did that was Ben, our CEO was like, I sent him this idea and I was like, hey, I want to do a daily podcast because I think that there's an appetite for that. And like everybody's remote right now. And so nobody's watching webinars. Like if we had a five minute daily e-commerce tips podcast, that would be awesome. I just don't know who's going to do it right now. Cause like the team is already slammed. And he was like, I've been waiting for this moment. I will do it. And so not only wow. do we have a daily five minute tactical podcast now, but it's done by the face of the, like the CEO, like the guy who built this company who knows more about it than anybody else. And so um, he's put out, We've done it for four weeks now and, and he's put out a five minute episode every single day. And that has been like insane for helping to grow the show. And it's just five minute, really snackable things like that, that people want. So that, that's been a really cool way that, that, that that's helped grow. Typical, uh, you know, outside of like my only other learning with podcasts has been the only way to grow the show 
is through getting more guests on. And this is a great way to do it with content that we have in house. No, that's great. Tim. My, uh, my next question was any advice you'd like to share with marketing leaders, but I think you just gave it away. So they appreciate it. Sure. I, can I give some more advice though? I, I guess, I guess we could allow that. Don't do what everybody else does in, in, in B2B. That's number one. Like, Drift does this really well. We do it really well at Privy now. Um, but I think like, don't, don't fall into the B2B trap. Like the best, like become a brand. That should be your ambition to be Nike, Patagonia, to be Apple, not to be another like, you know, cool, like not to be another stodgy B2B brand, like be an actual brand that people want to work with and forget about some of the tools and technology and, and focus on creativity. Like that's what's winning right now in, in, in B2B. I think like that's why you like Gong has been able to build a brand is because it's been a, it's been a creative brand in a space that's typically not that creative. And that that's, that's like the secret sauce today is not doing what everybody else does and, and focusing on creativity. What would you say, Dave, are like the three, like, or maybe it's not even three, but like the lures of the B2B trap, you know what I mean? Like what are people seeing and being like, ah, that's, you know what I mean? Like maybe it's a certain channel, it's a certain tone. What do you think those pitfalls are? Okay. So, so number, so number one is probably like, Number one is content, um, creating content that you would not actually read yourself. Like just getting into the content farm, like this is my job, I gotta publish this, but like, are you creating content that's some, there's so much con content is a commodity. You have to, you, it's not even worth doing if you're not gonna do it right. So like, you know, can you create content that some, someone's gonna actually wanna get value from? Not value because you're a vendor, genuine value about the problem that you're solving. Like, can, can you do that? Um, number two is probably just like the, the breadth of activities that we think are possible. Like the, the playbook is like, have a blog, do webinars, sponsor some stuff. And I think like that playbook is just ready to be disrupted. Like, and, and it works like write a book or, or do it, do what you do. Right. Instead of launching a blog, have gong labs and do like, you know, a couple times a month, you go super deep on, on topics. Um, launch a, launch a YouTube channel, launch a video series, you know, write a book, do an event series, paint a mural. I don't know. There's like, you just don't have to do all of the things that are, that are typical because one of my favorite lines is from, is from Gary V when he talks about marketing that he says like, the goal should be to find underpriced attention. And so the, like if everyone is on these channels already, you're going to have a harder time getting people to pay attention to you. Where if you can be the first people, if you're the first company or industry to launch a podcast, probably going to be more people that do it. And then the last thing is just, just ads and creative overall. This is what people miss. Like the whole point, social media advertising, right? If you're on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, everyone does this. We're all just scrolling all day long. But then all the creative that we put out as a B2B company looks exactly the same as everybody else's stuff. And it even, look, it even looks exactly the same as your brand because it has to be on brand guidelines. Well, maybe it's on brand guidelines, but like nobody's ever going to stop and actually watch your video and click on your stuff. And so like, I think you have to think about, I don't think people have enough awareness about what's actually happening in like a newsfeed. Your job should be to get somebody to watch that thing in one to two seconds, not just blend in with everything else and be like, well, here, this is clearly an ad. Like our brains, like the, the, the reptilian brain goes off and says, Oh no, that's an ad. I'm not going to look at it. Right. You don't, you don't right. want that. Nine out of 10 pieces of content on LinkedIn are, are look like, you know, look like somebody designed them in, in Canva. Which to be fair, they probably are, <laughs> but no, that's, that's awesome advice, man. That's something uh, it's actionable too, because it's something 
you know, Udi has said all the time, which is our CMO for, for folks might not know who we're referring to here, um, you know, it's different is better than better, right? And exactly what it is. If you're running through the, the scroll, you're, you're scrolling through your feed, you have to do something that looks different. Um, we, we've tested out on like webinars and other things like text posts get more engagement and more registrants than your webinar banner that, like you said, you know, the three speakers, Sheena, Devin, DG, a title, a time. So it, it, it's true, man. So I appreciate that. That's good insight. Dave, so you've, of course, done a tremendous job building your own professional and, and personal brand. I've seen a, an increase in sales leaders, sales folks trying to do the same, right? Like they want to show themselves as thought leaders. And a lot of people will put out a couple sentences about their learnings that everyone should take away, even though they've only been doing sales for three, four years. Um, what kind of advice would you have for folks like, does everybody need to build a professional brand on LinkedIn and, and those that, and who should, and if you do, do decide to do, go down that route, how should you do it best? You don't need to. It's definitely an advantage. Um, but like, I don't, yeah, I can't make a case for that. You need to do it, but I think it's an advantage. Um, I think particularly if you can, if you work in an industry where you can like show your work, it's really easy to build a personal brand. Um, where like the best way to build a personal brand is to do your work in public. And so like, I, I don't share anything that's groundbreaking. I just talk about how I do marketing and just show up every single day and do that. And 90% of people don't ever do it. And so there's always going to be someone who's like, yeah, that's obvious, but most people don't ever publish it. And so um, I think like doing, doing your work in public is the best way to do it. You, you don't have, you definitely don't have to do it, but, but I don't know why you wouldn't, I guess I don't know why you wouldn't want to, unless you're perfectly content. If you're perfectly content in doing what you're doing, everything's good, then, then don't do it. But if you, some people like it happens, I, I happen to love marketing and it's like become a hobby more so than it is my job. And so like, it's fun to be able to do that stuff. And it also has helped me grow professionally. And so, so I want to do it. Um, if, if that's not, if you sell sneakers on the side and that's your side thing, then like you don't have to become the face of, you know, sales on, on LinkedIn. Um, I would say the, the, the best way to do it though, is to number one, commit to doing it. First of all, like it's great that you can hop in and write a couple, you know, one liners to get somebody's, uh, you know, attention on, on LinkedIn. But like the only reason this really works for me now is because I've been doing it every day for three or four years and it's starting to like compound and pay off now. Um, but, I, but it wouldn't have happened that way. And also it, it makes me, it makes you better at it. And so like the reason I can crank out content fast now, and I'm like, I'm sure Devin, you feel this from a content side is like, cause you've been doing it for a while now. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you're not going to be able to hire a, a contractor that's going to be able to do a gong labs post in the time that you would no kidding. Right. Cause, cause I've been doing it. And so like I can create more. And so it's, it's even selfishly helped me as a, as a content creator. Like I think I can, I try to write something on LinkedIn every single day and I tweet a lot and like, it seems silly, but that's actually made me a better copywriter. Cause it's forced me to like share my thoughts in a concise way. And then if I do that every day over the course of three, four, five years, you know, now like I'm pretty good at it. Right. And that's not, that's right. not, that's like, that's true for anything. Right. If you started working out five years ago. And so I think you have to commit to doing it. And, and, and the other thing is you have to commit to a topic. I think I see a lot of people that try to do this and you know, one day they're talking about the, the Red Sox and the next day it's the pandemic and then it's a book and then it's your kids. It's like, I, I really talk about marketing leadership, and then every now and then my family, and those are like the three core topics, right? It's just like any good content strategy. You can't be everything to everyone. And so you got to pick one or two topics that you really want to go deep on. Um, and then the, the, the last thing is like, 
I think especially in the early days, you have to be an active participant in other people's content. And so like go and find people who have, you know, uh, big followings or are influential in your space. And so like, if this is SaaS, like start commenting on Jason Lemkin's posts and like writing about your take and what you think and, and start adding value in other places because that's how you're going to be seen as like a real credible person versus like if you're just pumping out your own stuff, best way to be discovered. This used to be, I used to work in PR like 10 years ago. And this was a whole PR strategy, which was like when blogs were big, you'd, you'd like write responses on popular blogs and hope that that would like get more traffic back to your stuff. And I think the same is true on social. So now if somebody goes to my Twitter page or they go to my LinkedIn, they see that I'm like a real person, not just like a, a you know, a, a bot just pushing out, you know, links and content all the time. I totally agree. The more that there's, and I go through spells of you know, writing often on LinkedIn and then, you know, going dark for a couple of days and that those getting back on after even just like three or four days, it's like staring at a blank Google doc with that blinking icon. Like, what am I going to say here? So yeah, just like I, anything I also, else. Just like one, one trick though is like, it definitely comes in waves. And so what I, I actually have like a note on my phone and I just write, put all stuff down in that note as I think of it by, uh, I put them all in there in that note as I think of it because like I've already posted today and I don't want to blow it up. It doesn't work as well if you post as much. And so like, if I thought of something on this, on this podcast right now, I would have scribbled it down and then put it in that. And then like you had this like running list. And so it, it becomes a little bit of a fun game too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, pi- a pipeline of uh, LinkedIn posts. So we got the final question for you, DG. We ask everybody this question before we end the podcast. How would you describe sales in one word? can't see him, but he's laughing on mute right now. <laughs> how would I describe sales? How do you describe something that's in, that's one word in one word? How do I describe sales in one word? It's actually going to be interesting to hear the response from a marketer's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> we only ask sales leaders this question. <laughs> I would say sales is fuel Ooh. because if you don't have sales, you don't have a business. And so like the better you market, the more you sell, the more you can invest in the business, the more you can continue to grow. And so I think sales is, sales is fuel for, for ultimately, ultimately your business should exist because of a product, right? And I think sales is fuel for that product. It's a great answer, man. Go, goes to the first part of what we were talking about as well. Um, for, for, for what it's worth, if you're interested, no one has ever said fuel before. I think this is like uh, week 45, we've asked 45 revenue leaders We've only had, we've had a couple duplicates, but no fuel. Well, of course you're going to get a creative answer when you bring on yeah. a, a CMO <laughs> to answer the, you know, creative question. <laughs> Absolutely. I usually don't, I usually don't think about things that long. So maybe that's a good, yeah. that's a good sign. Yeah. Dave, man, thanks for, thanks again for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. The expertise was great. Tons of actionable tips. Just like you said, content strategy for you guys is tactical advice and there's plenty of it here, man. So thank you. Thank yeah. You. Thanks for having me. Dave shared some great insights on how he aligns his marketing and sales teams at Privy. Here are three ways that you can help improve the alignment in your organization. First, focus on relationships. Without solid working relationships with your sales and marketing counterparts, it can be nearly impossible to communicate openly with each other. Number two, identify common goals. Understand what drives each team and design a shared scorecard and set of deliverables that gets everyone working in the same direction. And last, over-communicate with each other. Share your work. Don't wait for the finished product before rolling it out. 
Let everyone take part throughout the entire process. And once these projects are in play, share what's working and not working. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io. 